good morning, everyone. So good to see you. I'm just going to be right up front with you. I walked in the door and saw our keyboard player. Don't know if you've met him. Name is Lowell Kenyon. Lowell Kenyon, chief orator, shepherd, speaker. And yet it's my turn to preach. So I'm just going to get over it. I'm glad the light is so bright I can't really see it. But I will say when, when you were talking about the birthdays, I was trying to send you all one of those I love you, you know, things. But Lowell, it was a hook em horn. I don't know if you saw it. But I did a hook and horn, so, you know, channeling all the way, all the way. So today, <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, I really, I really did that, and then I corrected it. So I want you to know on the record, I got it corrected. So, uh, repentance, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this morning is about relationships, and the title is Separated, I'm sorry, the title is Let's Face It Together. Uh, we are separated, but we are also connected, and I don't know if you sense that during the, the worship music this morning, but we are connected, and, and to those of you on Facebook, we're separated, but we're connected by technology, but hopefully we're connected in much deeper ways than that. So, uh, this morning we're going to talk about Facing it together. And I don't know what the it is, but you do. And so we need to face it together. Here, here are the points. Uh, I'm a communications person. I've studied communications. I know after about 20 minutes, you're going to start thinking lunch, nap, other things. And it takes a really skilled speaker to draw you back in. Lowell does that really well. I'm not sure how good I am at it, but so I want to give you these big points right up front. Here we go. Isolation is bad. Okay, there you go. Connection is good. And you need a roof. You may not know it, but you need a roof. And if there's a sub point to that, it's you need to be a roof. And all of that will come together here in just a moment if you're here for the second Second half, all right. So isolation is bad. Um, have you ever been around a friend that has spent a little too much time alone? It gets a little, some of the language is a little off. You pick it up pretty quick. Ooh, wow, okay. And what makes it worse is if they're going through a difficult time alone. You pick up on it really quick. Like, oh, wow, something's here. You just pick up on that. Uh, did you, did, do you ever listen to yourself if you've spent too much time alone? And then it's just exacerbated if you're going through a difficult time spending a lot of time alone. You start to say things that are way off, even, even a little freaky, right? That can just happen in lonely times. Well, you know this. We aren't wired for isolation. And that's just plain and simple. We're not wired for isolation. You know, my, my car is not wired for that thing where you press it and it parallel parks itself. Now, I wish it was, but it's not wired to. So when I go downtown, Texas Street, going to pull over and get some coffee maybe, right? And there's a spot right there, but it's, you know, between two other cars. 
I would love to pull beside it like on the commercials, hit that button and that wheel turns and they're all just smiling and they're all impressed because it parallel parks itself. My car is not wired for that. It won't do it. I can sit there all day. It's just a fact. It's not wired to do it. You and I are not wired for isolation. We're just not. We're, not, we're wired for connection. So when we think we can handle it alone, when we think we can just get through this difficult thing alone, we're trying to do something we're not wired to do. So we face it together. Just go to the garden. Adam, first man, right? In the garden. New garden. Have you seen some of the new plants coming up that we thought were dead because of the ice? But they're coming up anyway, and it's just beautiful. And it's green, and it's gorgeous. Adam was in that mode the whole time in that garden. Beautiful, new. How good can it get? Oh, by the way, my best friend is God (laughs) who made these and those galaxies and those stars and whatever's beyond it. It's my best friend. I'm in this garden. That's my best friend. That's as good as it can get. And oh, it gets even better. No shame. He didn't even know what guilt felt like. You know, no shame, no sin. That's as good as it gets, right? But God looks at that and says, no, not quite enough. You need somebody else. You need somebody else. Because that's the way we're wired, right? So that is what God says. God himself says, there's something else that needs to happen here, a relationship. And so there you go. There's the history. We're wired for relationship. Uh, Connection is good. We're better when we're connected. I'm not that great alone. I'm way better when I'm connected. Anything I feel proud about, anything I feel good about in the past, you know, that I I think back, it's with people. It's with somebody. And that's because that's the way we are wired up. Seriously, our thoughts kind of get a little out of control when we're lonely. You know, when we're alone alone for long periods of time. Uh, That's when the I nevers start. The I nevers. Never doing that again. And then it gets freaky. It gets weird. You know, I, I keep saying that. It's true. You can be in an argument. I don't know if you've ever had an argument with your spouse or anything like that. Uh, it can get a little petty. Then it can get a little competitive, you know. And then all of a sudden, you're just the I nevers come in. Well, I, I'm just never going to do that again. Well, I'm just never going to say that again. Well, I'm just never going to speak. I'm done speaking. And it gets crazy. But you go there, don't you? When you're alone, it's bad. Connection is way better. Ecclesiastes 4 has the famous verse that says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. There's the relationship. You, whoever that other person is, and God. And that's the connection that's not easily broken. That's what we're wired for. But we must be wired to genuine friends, genuine people, right? It doesn't matter if we have 5,000 Facebook friends. How many friends do we have? And I'll go ahead and plant this out there. How many Ruths do you have? How many people are you Ruth to? 
and that'll come together here in just a moment. I've got to take you on a trip. I want to frame our time in the Word of God with a real-life story. I need you to go with me to Houston, Texas, 1991, okay? Who's traveled to Houston? Pretty much everybody? Okay. Usually when I go there, I'm so glad I live in Houghton, <laughs> you know, just traffic. Well, I was going to Houston. You remember the, 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 some of you might remember the Promise Keepers Movement, men's Christian organization. It still exists today, just in different forms. But, but in the 90s, Promise Keepers would visit large cities, rent out major stadiums, and men would pour into them. And the speakers would come to speak on how to be a godly man and how to be a godly husband and a godly friend and live a godly life. And it was wonderful. And they had a, a band, the Maranatha Praise Band, that would come in and do all these wonderful songs. They'd send you a CD if you registered in advance of all the songs they were going to do. So those like me that were just really junkies on this, I mean, we would get the CD and we'd learn the songs and drive to these things just in a feverish pitch for the fellowship that was going to be ours for the weekend. And it was lovely to be in there with so many thousands of people. And I went to several of those. But the one that came to Houston, I wanted to go to alone. And that was okay. Uh, but, but I wanted to go alone. I wanted to experience what it would be like in a mass of Christian men singing these songs and hearing these messages and just be lost and not have to worry about Who's going to the hotel? Who's going to eat? Who, where are we going to meet? Didn't want any of that. I want to focus on just God, me, being a godly man, learning more. A brand new father. Wanted to pour all of that in. And I wanted to go alone. So I did. I did. I went alone. Now, driving in Houston is a challenge even with a GPS. But this is 1991 and there's no GPS, right? And so off I go to Houston, and I'm having a lovely time listening to the music. And then when I get close to Houston, I start feeling the nerves, you know. There's this 610 loop. You know, it's like a death loop if you get on that thing. There's lanes as far as you can see. There's cars as far as you can see front and back. And my timing was perfect. I hit it right about drive time in the afternoon. Brilliant move. And I've, I know the exit, and I've studied the map. But it's a different thing when you're really out there. And it's even different when you have this. Did everybody see that and recognize it? I think everybody here is of the age to where you'd know it. Facebook, this is a brick phone. It's called a brick for a reason, right? The battery's this long. I've got the charger at home, and it's twice as big as this. It, I mean, it's a piece of furniture for the home. It's huge. So this is what I had. There's no screen. There's nobody to ask, hey, how do I get there from here? It's not there. And here's another thing. Back then, if you all had one of these, if you press one, you better be ready to refinance your house because those long-distance bills were sky-normous right? Well, that's how I went to Houston. And so I'm in traffic. I'm alone. I'm driving a car that is a standard shift. Another brilliant move I made there. So there we are. We're in traffic, five o'clock in the afternoon. Don't know where I'm going. I'm just in this 610 loop with 
at least four lanes that way and four lanes this way. There we go. You see it. Okay? Well, I've been on it now long enough to think I've missed the exit. Remember I said when you get alone, you get a little freaky, a little creepy, a little weird? I'm, I've convinced myself I've missed the exit. So I'm looking at this. You know, I'm thinking, hotel number, you know, just written down on a piece of paper. Do I do it? Do I keep driving? Do I do it? I know I've passed. I've had to have passed it. So I finally made the call to the hotel. And it rings, and I'm thinking, Carol's going to kill me. This is going to be like two months of salary, you know, paying for this phone call. And this lady picks up, and it's like an angel, you know. Hotel, can I help you? Yes, yes, you can. You can. Hi, my name is Charlie. I'm staying at your hotel tonight and tomorrow night. I'm from Louisiana. I'm on the way here, and I think I'm lost. I don't know really where to go. And she goes, well, uh, what exits do you see? None, none. Well, can you see a mile marker? No, ma'am. There's too many cars. Well, what do you see? Now it's getting interesting. So I go, tall buildings, lots of traffic, you know. So that's not enough to give, any, <laughs> give her anything. And this, this lady goes, well, describe the buildings to me. Okay. Well, over on my right are grouped buildings that are like mirrored. They're beautiful mirrors. And she goes, what's across the street from that? Well, there's another group of buildings, and they're sort of pinkish, almost orange, and they're grouped together. And she says, I know right where you are. And she goes, here's what I want you to look for. I want you to ease over to your right as best you can. You've got a ways to go. You've got time. Ease over to the right. Look for the main street exit. You're going to exit, and you're going to take a left on a street called Fannin and go about two blocks. You're going to see us on the left. So, like, okay. And then I said, um, I want you to remember that. She said, I know right where you are. And then she said, I said, okay, but if I miss it, see, I'm freaky. I mean, I'm alone. I've talked myself into it. I'm psychotic. If I miss it, if I miss it, what do I do? Are you still going to be there? And she said, no lie. She said, I'll be right here when you get there. And so I ease over Main Street. Take a right. Fannin. Take a left. Two blocks. Woo, there it is. The hotel. And so I walk in. By the way, by now I've put this in my clip. <laughs> we all limped in the 90s. These had belt clips. <laughs> but anyway, I walked in. And there she was, like an angel. And I said, hi, I'm Charlie. She said, oh, you made it. Yes, ma'am, thank you so much. And so uh, she said two things that have stuck with me all these years. I know right where you are, and I'll be here when you get here. And so uh, that was, those are Ruth qualities we're about to see in Ruth chapter 1. But, but let me tell you, I was in that I took my stuff upstairs, got in my car, and there was another little sub-angel. You know, there might be levels of angels. She was like, you know, right under the top angel. And then the sub-angel was in the parking garage. And so I drove up, and I said, hey, I've got to get to the Astrodome. Can you tell me how to get there? Because I was tired of, you know. He goes, 
yeah, 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 I understand. I said, wait, wait, wait. And I grabbed this little piece of paper and my pencil. And he goes, okay, you're going to come out. Just come out of the garage and take a left. Left out of the garage. And he said, well, you can write that down or you can just look right there. And I looked over and there's the Astrodome. It's right there. <laughs> and so I, he said, any of these streets will get you there. Just go. So thank you, Sub Angel. Well, anyway, these remind me of Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth, uh, I don't know if you've paid much attention to it. Uh, it's got some famous stories in there. But uh, the book of Ruth is, a, and this, here comes a big word, um, Deuteronomistic history. Wow. Okay. So what that means is the book of Ruth contains some theologic, some theories from the book of Deuteronomy that are brought to life by the recounting of the events. And they do two things. Number one, they tell of God's direct relationship with the people of Israel. It, it shows his involvement, his connection, his relationship with the people of Israel. And it also, these stories like of Ruth that we're about to see, serve to inspire us, all right? Inspire the readers. That's Deuteronomistic reading right there. So somehow I feel good that Lowell got to hear a sermon I preached that had the word Deuteronomistic history in there. Man, uh, yeah, like, yeah, I learned that back in preaching school, I think. All right, so Ruth's story, Ruth chapter 1. We're just going to read through Ruth chapter 1, and uh, this is out of the, the NIV. So we're going to read it. We're gonna, I've told you these stories in advance because you're going to sense them in this reading. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from uh, Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, Elimelech, his wife's name, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kelon. They were Ephrathites and from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab to live there. They went there because there was something to eat there, right? Okay, so uh, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons, they married Moabite women. Okay, so so the the from the people from Judah went moved and married Moabite people. Okay, they married Moabite women. One named Orpha and the other one Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. So they're going back to Judah. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, okay, here we go, y'all. Reflect on what we've talked about so far. Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. She kissed him, 
And they cried out loud and said to her, we'll go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Why would you come with me? Feeling it? Am I going to have more sons who can become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this, they wept again. Lots of crying. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There, I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune unto me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So that is the narrative that we have that we're working with this morning to talk about connection is good, isolation is bad. You know, are you picking up on these things? Naomi lost it there for a while, right? I mean, hey, girls, if I had a... If I had sons tonight, would you wait for them? That's just weird. That's just weird. She's out there. She's lost. She needs to not be in this alone. She needs connection, and she gets it through Ruth. <laughs> Orpha, what, what a woman, right? Go, no, 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 you go back. And she's like, out, gone, toodles, you know, but not so with Ruth. Not so with Ruth. Are those not powerful words about, I'll go with you, your home will be my home, your God, whoever that God is, I'm going to get to know that God, that's going to be my God too. Where you die, that's where I'm going to die. That is devotion beyond devotion. But it's connection. It is the connection we need. And see, the perspective is still off for her. She's in a land where in Moab, and she's found that her homeland now has food, now has been blessed by God, and she's going back. And then she's got this wonderful friend, Ruth, that's going to go, well, not friends, 
relative that's going to go with her no matter what. Things are actually looking up, but she doesn't see it. And that's the way we get when we're going through difficult times alone. We don't see it. We need somebody else to connect to, to see it. See, isn't that, doesn't that just speak to our real lives? That's just, it just does, does to mine anyway. Um, and later, it's a great epilogue here. If you ever keep reading through this, you'll find out that a man named Boaz actually helped Naomi and Ruth negotiate some rituals of inheritance, right? And after uh, which Boaz marries Ruth. Now, here we go, back to that big Deuteronomistic history where we see God interact with Israel. Boaz has this son, his name is Obed, and you might already be on to this. Obed has a son named Jesse. Jesse has a son named David, and then David becomes the king of unified Israel. God's working through this whole thing. And, of course, we know now our Savior, our King, comes from the Davidic line, right? So it's just amazing how all these, all these accounts point to God and his involvement with people, relationships, connections. And so the book of Ruth is about a lot of things. That was about history. The book of Ruth is about loyalty. And that's the inspiration part we get from this type of, of writing. And I'll just time out here and say, if you're going through, and I don't know, all of us are battling something, aren't we? You know, isn't that what Robin Williams is famous for quoting? Be kind, because the person you meet is battling something. And that, of course, has so much meaning now, knowing what he went through. But, uh, but, but so all of us are going something, and some are really going through ringers right now. And so, take from this story that seasons will change. This, this whatever it is, will we'll pass. You know, and I have real stories that go with this. Um, you know, one time I was going through, it's been 10 or 12, I don't know how long ago, but it was a difficult time. And actually, I don't even remember exactly what the difficult thing was at that moment. If I think about it in a minute, it'll, it'll hit me. But it was hard. It was difficult. It, it was whatever. We were in that old building over there on Douglas Street. And after church, I shared it with Lowell. And he said, you know what? This is just a snapshot in an album. It's just one little snapshot in an album. But one day, he's just going to turn that page. And that's so helpful to know that whatever it is, it's going to pass. It's going to pass. Um, I got to get you back to Houston for just a second. So, oh, they wouldn't let us bring these into the building back then, which is a great thing. It's not like we could text anybody, you know. <laughs> you know, but uh, uh, alone. So I walk into Houston, the Astrodome, and I want to be on the front row. I want to be dead center on the front row. And so I walked in alone, and some memories started coming back. My dad used to take me and my brother over there to see the Astros play the Cardinals back in the days of Lou Brock, you know, and those kind of players. So it was neat to walk back in there and, and just see the place. They still had home plate. You could go stand on home plate if you wanted to. Uh, but but I went to the front row, and as I went to the front row, 
it was already full. I mean, that's one of those events that happens. And uh, so I was walking down the front row of seats, and there was one empty, and there was a gentleman sitting uh, in the one next to it, and we made eye contact. And he was just a kind-looking man, but he had a little bit of a, a stressed look about him. You know, and so I just walked by, and he kept maintained eye contact with me. And I said, so I just said, hey, is, is this seat taken? And he said, no, have a seat, have a seat. Said, okay, hey. I said, well, my name's Charlie. And he goes, hey, my name's Charles. Ah, cool. Connection started, okay, right? So, oh, hey, how are you? That's my real name, too, two Charleses right here. He's African-American. I was white. We kind of made a deal out of that because a lot of Promise Keepers was about racial reconciliation. So it was already a vibe that was starting that felt really, really special. But I sat down there with Charles, and we immediately just connected with each other. Where are you from? Oh, I'm from Louisiana. I'm from Louisiana. Wow. Well, neat. Well, where are you staying? I'm staying over there at the Hyatt. Me too. I mean, it was all just kind of coming together. Well, I won't tell you the whole thing because I I really need to wrap this on up, but uh, these events are times where you just end up just shedding a lot of your concerns and and just really being uh, enveloped into worship, and it's just such a beautiful thing. And we shared throughout the next couple of hours in between speakers and music a lot of things that were going on in our lives. He was struggling with a lot of the same things I was struggling with, and we shared it. We were both troubled by them, and, and that, that was both of our motives for wanting to come. He came by himself, you know, so all of that was, was going on. And so uh, he, we, we, we shared, we talked, we prayed, we cried, we laughed, we did all that stuff. And then the last song came up, and it was uh, the It Is Well With My Soul song, you know when peace like a river, you know. And, and so we stood up, and, and we were singing, and the speaker said, look, if you've come and you've already met a new friend, you know, just reach over and give them a handshake or give them a hug or whatever. And so the music kept playing, and, and Charles and I just embraced. And I was doing the man thing, you know, the quick little, you know, good one, yeah. But he didn't let go. And so, without sharing words, it's like, oh, hey, we're both needing each other. And so, we just embraced and just swayed as that music was playing. And I want to tell you, it hit me so hard that I wasn't swaying with Charles. I wasn't dancing with Charles. I was just being embraced by God himself through that. And I mean, I felt it from head to toe as deep in my soul as I could feel it. And it was just God saying, I know right where you are. And I'm going to be here till you get here. It was just that. It was all this devotion we feel that Ruth had was God saying that to me. Man, I, Charlie, I am with you. I'm going where you go. We're, we're together forever. And these scriptures all point to God and his personality and who he is. So I felt all of that all at once. 
And so, Charles and I have been friends for 27 years and counting. It's really cool. It's really, really cool. Um, so I want to close by giving you some good old RBC homework. And <laughs> um, who is your roof? You know, if, if you have a roof, thank God. Thank God. If you don't have a roof, pray to God that one of them crosses your path. Who are you a roof to? If you're a roof to somebody, man, thank God he's using you powerfully in their life. And, and, and if you're not a roof to somebody, then you need to pray to God that somebody cross your path. You can be a roof too. You know, be the support. And you know what? It doesn't have to be one person for 27 years. You can be a roof to 12 people by the time lunch is over, you know, just by being honest and genuine and showing your concern and, look, I'm here for you. Um, and, and that exists in this church. And, and there's, a, there's a brother, I'm not going to call his name, but, you know, I'll, there's a time of, of dark times for me that I just reached out to him, and I got, I got phrases back from him that said, don't call me, don't text me, call me. Don't text me, call me. If, if, if I can't answer, just leave a message, I will call you back. And this is a friend that said, I'm already praying thanksgiving for you, the victory you're going to experience. You know, sometimes we need the faith of another person because <laughs> we might be too weak and too frail to find it ourselves. But we can find it in a roof or a, a mister, whoever, you know, we can do that. Sometimes we have to rely on each other's faith. All right, so. That was the homework, by the way. Just it's a it's a two question quiz. Just think through it. All right, who's Ruth to you? Who are you Ruth to? Um, all right. So reconnecting. I want to conclude by telling you, isolation is bad. <laughs> Connection is good. Who is your Ruth? Oh, Ruth means something. Did y'all know it has a definition? To show empathy. So when you hear somebody say, oh, they're just ruthless, there you go. Now you know what they mean. They're not just without a root. They're without empathy. They're ruthless. All right. So uh, thank you for your time and your attention. And I appreciate the opportunity to share with you this morning. I hope something there inspires you as it did me uh, and from the word of God. So I think I'll just pray and we'll be get ready to to rock out one more time and be dismissed.